Welcome to my podcast, Living with Ovarian Cancer. My name is Diane Evans-Wood and I'm one of many women who are living with ovarian cancer. I want to give women like me a voice to share with you what it's like to live with ovarian cancer. We will cover a whole range of aspects related to diagnosis, treatment, recurrence and well, just about everything in between. I hope you find our honest, candid but often humorous conversations not only useful but also uplifting. So without further ado, settle down and listen to my conversation today. Welcome to another episode of Living with Ovarian Cancer podcast. Now before I introduce my guest today, please could I ask you to subscribe to the show and leave a rating if after you've listened. It really does help the show to become more visible for people to find. Now today I'm very honoured to be talking to Linda Panther. Linda and I share so many similarities and I'm really grateful to her for talking to me today. Now, neither of us are feeling very grand at the moment, so please bear with us if we make a few daft mistakes along the way. So let's hear Linda's story, which I'm sure you're going to find extremely inspiring. So welcome, Linda. Oh, thank you, Diane. It's lovely to be talking to you finally. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. We've got so much in common. We could yeah. we could actually talk for days, couldn't we? We seem to have, yeah. Oh. We're from the same era, I oh, think. Oh, we are. Trajectory. Yeah. We are, love. Now, can you tell me more about you, Linda? What makes you, you, where you live, um, yeah. your job, um, what you love to do, pets, hobbies, all that sort of thing? Yeah, thanks. Well, yeah, I, I'm um, I'm 57 years old. Um, I was born in in Derbyshire, which is actually where I'm back at now as well, after a long twisted journey. Um, I'm the uh, I've got a brother and a sister. Sister yes. lives in Canada. Who's she's also a nurse, mm-hmm. um, and actually she's just travelling back there today. She's just been over to see me. Um, which is lovely. My brother is an ex-Royal Marine. He, he yeah. was in the Royal Marines for all of his life and he now lives near me as well or I live near him more to the yeah. point because I moved here deliberately to be a bit nearer my family again. Yeah. My dad is still alive. He's end-stage uh, renal failure. He's on dialysis three times a week. However, he keeps remarkably cheerful and that's where I get my cheerfulness from. and he's yeah. lovely and I love living near him again uh, yeah. so I see a lot more of him yeah um and my mum sadly died about three years ago actually of a very very quick uh, liver cancer which was totally out of the blue she refused all treatment she was a stubborn old nurse as well <laughs> refused all treatment and yeah the the liver oh. cancer uh, quickly um finished her off bless her so we miss her as well I've lived a, a an interesting life really uh, my mum actually left when I was 12 years old and right. conse- and I lived with my dad and consequently I I had a lot of freedom that your average teenager wouldn't have had <laughs> in the days of uh, punk rock was just sort of still going um the goths and the new romantics and alternative lifestyles were were very easily 
accessible and uh, and I took the alternative route from a very early age oh, good vegetarian mm -hmm. uh, at age 14 after mm -hmm. I saw a, a a cow truck going into a slaughter a slaughterhouse that turned me vegetarian for forever so yeah. I've been vegetarian 43 years now yeah and that was the beginning of it really I've had every hair color under the sun <laughs> so I had a lovely time. I lived in a forest for two years in a place called Matlock Bath in Derbyshire, living off the land and living living the dream, really. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And I, I so after a few years, I thought, well, I, I had a few menial jobs. And then I thought, actually, I better start doing a bit of something with my life, you know, I'd resisted nursing for a long time but my mum and my sister are both nurses so I eventually applied for nurse training yeah. and I, I did a pin on the map all over the country Cambridge, Oxford, uh, Canterbury. Canterbury were the first place to uh, interview me and offer me a place. I went down and had a look. I loved it. It's a lovely yeah. student town you know very nice I was young free and single at that time I aged about 25 actually so I was not quite a mature student but I was getting there yeah so I did my nurse training and I ended up um very quickly I did another degree on top of that and very quickly became a uh, a district nurse sort of team leader and then a community matron and all, all of my career really was on I was sort of a senior yeah. staff member really threw myself into nursing wound care especially and mm. it was called adult protection then uh, uh sort of I became a, a teacher of that for the whole trust and yeah it's called safeguarding now yes so yes of course you you I met a met a chap down there and uh we were together a while and I had my greatest achievement in life was my two two sons I produced two wonderful uh, decent conscious human beings which I'm, I'm very proud of they're now aged uh, 19 and 21 oh um, lovely both at university although one son is on a year a year in industry and he lives with me currently so my eldest son so that's absolutely lovely yeah. so I get to have him for a couple more months yet before he moves oh, out again etc so oh. that's been really nice I've actually been married three times in total. The, the second one, the dad of my two kids, uh, it wasn't very pleasant when that broke up. And I'm now married to to my uh, my final husband, for sure. And that's Andor. Good time looking. Yeah, and he's Hungarian. And I met him, uh, he's worked in this country a long time. He's got British mm -hmm. citizenship. And he was um, like a senior healthcare assistant in one of the places I worked. And he's just wonderful. And it mm -hmm. took us a long time to get it together, but we did. And mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're now married, really. Yeah, what's his name, sorry? And Andor. 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 So it's like Andy, Andrew, yeah. in the English yeah. equivalent. And Andor is lovely. And, and he's obviously had to face all of my story with me since it all started to go pear-shaped. <laughs> I know he's so lovely. Because he is. He's he a, is he's so caring. He's a very you. unique person. Yeah. And I've been very glad to, that I've had him with me for this this part, for sure, because yeah. it's quite a scary journey to, to go on, really. 
Yeah, because like you, he's a very gentle soul, obviously, because he was a senior care assistant. He oh, yeah. That in him, wouldn't he? It is funny. But, I once I once made a joke to my nurse colleagues and we, I didn't know at all I was ill at that time. And I said, if I ever get ill, girls, I'll have him looking after me because he was just so... <laughs> He, he went that extra mile for each and every patient, which is, you know, it's nice mm-hmm. to see. Yeah. He really uh, didn't give us stuff about time and regulations and all mm-hmm. that. If that patient needed something, he would accommodate. And yeah. so it was lovely. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's that. I'm, I'm now, um, I've moved back up, uh, as my story will reveal, I've now moved back up into the Midlands. I'm not quite in Derbyshire, but I'm in Nottinghamshire, which is very, you can go in and out of the two very easily. And we've done that within the last six months, actually. Yeah. Uh, But that will become clearer as I'm giving you my sort of medical story. Yeah. Okay. So when we're here to talk about, well, it's ovarian cancer, but that's, um, you'll tell us a bit more about your disease because um, you're treated as you are, as if you are ovarian cancer. But what, what was it that made you think then that something was wrong? What did you have? Yes, of course. Back in um, February, 2020, it would be uh, just as, just as the first little inklings of, of, covid and lockdown were being heard about really nothing had really happened yet in this country but it was just starting and i was working full time mm-hmm. uh, still down in, uh, in in kent where i lived then uh, on the coast in kent as a, as a nurse and i'd actually moved from the community trust back into the hospital purely because i just fancied a change i just wanted mm-hmm. something i was coming to the to the twilight years of my career Mm-hmm. I'd already done 20, late 20s in, in years and was yeah. just thinking, well, what do I fancy? Something a bit different. And I'd gone into endoscopy in a big hospital down in Margate, actually. And yeah. I kept thinking I was running. My diet is great. I was very busy. Mm-hmm. Yet my waistline was thickening out. I was postmenopausal and I thought, well, it's probably menopause. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of ladies think the same thing and it usually would only be hormonal and just changes in body etc mm-hmm. but I, I just thought I'll, I'll tell you what I'll get my GP to to do me a blood test just a general screening of everything I never went to the GP yeah. Let, let's just have a little screen so I can look at it myself and make sure everything's mm-hmm. okay so uh, I did ring my GP and she did do me a and I said, I can get the blood done myself at work. You know, one of my colleagues will do it. Yeah. And she, I fetched the form and she'd done it. And I got her to add on a CA125. Just mm-hmm. uh, not for a second did I think it would reveal anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought, well, I'll tell you what, we're having a blood test. Let's let's do it. Whole lot done, yeah. Yeah. So I had that done. A few days later, w- one of my colleagues had a very sneaky peek for me just to make sure everything was all right and everything was normal. So mm. I thought, great, that's that's all I need to know. A couple of days after that, I kept getting a vibration on my phone in my pocket at work, which I couldn't answer at the time. And, you know, and it was the GP surgery wanting me to call them back. Mm. <laughs> anyway, eventually I did uh, one morning in February and I rung them back. She said, oh, everything was okay. However, your CA125 
is raised. Oh, I said, oh dear, that's that's not good. And yeah, she initially told me, she said, I'm afraid to say it's over a thousand. Mm. I said, oh my goodness. She says, you, you ought to come in really and let's do some further investigations. Yeah. So work sent me home. I got I got a bit upset actually. It's quite a shock to hear something that could turn out to be quite significant mm. actually it said yes you have got a problem and it was quite a shock so they sent me home I got in at the GP surgery and she actually said uh, when I got there I'm, I'm ever so sorry I mixed up the the, the zeros on your number you're actually above 10,000 oh my goodness so straight away mm. that is something not not quite right at all yeah. So within the hour, I was having an ultrasound scan in the GP surgery and there lie the problem. I was just full of about 10 litres of ascites fluid and she couldn't see anything. She couldn't see the ovaries mm. or anything like that. So obviously there, there's a big, big issue going on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. What did they plan to do then once they um, once they realised that you've got so much yeah. fluid in you? Yeah, the, the, obviously the GP had me referred in very quickly. I had to tolerate the fluid. There was nothing to be done at that time. Yeah. And actually, because I hadn't known it was there. Oh, I also had two pleural effusions, which is fluid around the lungs as well. Right. So I was full of fluid and actually hadn't really realised, you know. So you start to accommodate it. You get used yeah, to it, don't yeah. you, over time. And, you know, even if I, on retrospect now, thinking back, I probably was getting a little bit breathless. Yeah. Whereas a few months before, I wouldn't have been. So there were tiny little signs, but but your body does... You know, when you're a busy working lady, mm. you know, with a busy schedule, you know, your body pushes it aside. Yeah. Usually, yeah. I think as women, we're we're very used to doing that and putting, you know, putting the the day ahead more importantly than than actually what's how we're feeling. You're so right there. Yeah. Yeah. And women also are. are I'm sure you know the the listeners will agree that that we're very used to putting the odd niggle and the aches and pains and the little the monthly you know little things that we have going on there you know we get so used to them that when they sort of change slightly or whatever we we just accommodate them completely so mm -hmm. yeah yeah so, so the truth is I did and I, I sort of vaguely thought something might not be right but I didn't really have any symptoms so yeah the, the typical ovarian cancer yeah presentation I suppose it was and I know the CA125 can be raised for lots mm. of different reasons but coupled with mm. the the fluid that you've got both in your abdomen and your chest and your mm. lungs obviously you would know then that yeah. it's very and, highly suspicious of ovarian yeah. cancer and, and obviously from that first laid on that ultrasound couch yeah. with my husband at the side of me as a nurse and and just as a, I was flung into this new this new landscape immediately yeah. this new landscape where I would never return to my previous self yeah. which at the time you don't realize you know what what, what lay ahead but um no. you know, thinking back now it's just a, a, a shocking 
u-turn in your whole life really that cancer i know we spend our time thinking well we'll get this treatment then i can go Mm. back to normal actually your old normal never comes back you're you're changed forever yeah in lots of different ways and you're you're right you know you you see what's being a nurse Mm. and knowing that something is very wrong when Mm. you when you see what's on the ultrasound scan It fills you with that sense of dread, that doom. You know, without even anybody saying anything, Mm, that this is really very, very serious. We know too much, don't we, sometimes? We do. And and Um, being flung into the world of becoming a patient, where you are literally, you are a patient now. And although you're you're the people treating you might be aware that you've got a nursing background and Mm -hmm. actually at that time I worked in the hospital where I was being treated you know and people were very sympathetic you immediately become a patient and a number and you 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 know you wait your turn like everybody else it's it's uh, most peculiar yeah and of course at this exact same time so the next few weeks was spent I got obviously fast tracked into a proper gynae oncology sort of examination, et cetera, yeah. biopsies. And all this was happening as co- as the first lockdown was just starting. So it had an incredible peculiar effect on the whole healthcare system, as we know. And although yeah. I was seeing people face to face, my my husband, well, actually at this stage, he, he wasn't my husband, but my, my partner yeah. and or couldn't come with me you know uh, they'd already put in all those those safeguards for for about covid etc that so must have been so hard for both of you thing. oh it was i mean it was yeah. it was just uh, it was so surreal diane i mean it was just a surreal you didn't quite believe you were actually living this mm. thing you know so. I know surreal is a word that I use often to describe mm-hmm. how I felt when I was told that I'd mm. got can- ovarian cancer. Um, it's it, it just stuns you into mm. feeling speechless. That's the it? word. It was it was, yeah. it was stunning. It was yeah. It was like you'd, you'd lost con- you'd lost control yeah. immediately. You could still. Yeah research things and look at things but you'd lost the control you were in the process Mm -hmm. now you were and at the mercy of whatever was about to happen was about Mm -hmm. to happen yeah as well you can't unknow things you you know what the score is don't you sometimes that can be a blessing yeah um but i i now you know being the the stage Mm. that i am i think oh i wish i didn't know it all now i I didn't see all of that but to be going through what you went through during coronavirus, you know, mm. a worldwide pandemic. Mm. Oh, I can't imagine, you know. And I, and I mean, I feel very fortunate because I know some people came after me and and actually were, were miss, miss, you know, missing their diagnosis and yeah. treatments, etc. And work chemo was being sort of uh, temporarily stopped and things like that. So. I think I did sign a disclaimer at the very beginning of my treatment saying I do realise if I attend for chemotherapy that I'm putting myself at risk. You know, and I obviously I wanted that treatment, but Mm -hmm. that, yeah, that that was 
very scary for people. Well, it would you be, know. Yeah. So I'm very fortunate that yeah. I was taken through the, you know, the process as if it wasn't happening, but actually, you know, yeah. yeah. So what happened after that? What obviously you were fast tracked. Um, yes, yeah. By by March, by March 2020, I'd had the ascites drained, which I, I found um particularly I, I personally thought I've had it done twice mm. in those early days. I haven't needed it done since. Um and I, I found that a horrible thing to have done. I know some ladies don't, you know, don't think that, but I mm. personally really didn't like that but I was glad of the relief yeah. uh, that the having that fluid drained off gave me it, by the end of March March 27th actually my my eldest son's birthday I'd been given all the registry offices had been closed down however I'd had this sudden urge as you often do I wanted everything in order and mm. I wanted everything you know I wanted some control over things and I wanted to get married yeah. so luckily a very kind lady who had actually been through a breast cancer journey herself she revealed to me um at our local registry office actually came and opened the office with one of her colleagues who volunteered to come and do it oh, and me and Andor lovely. were married yeah. um, with my two sons as the only witnesses and guests and it was a freezing cold day. All my colleagues from work waited outside for me afterwards with banners and cardboard <laughs> boxes painted with congratulations. And, you oh. know, it, it, it was so lovely. So mm. we, we were married then and that was quite important. I didn't want to have to explain him as, oh, this is my partner. We're not married, mm. but, but he's my next of kin. And I, um. somehow I didn't want all that. So I just wanted him close and it, and we we were so terrified of suddenly not being together. We just both wanted to be together so much. Yeah, and we were, yeah. So we were married. Yeah. Um, by yeah. April, by a few days later, I actually uh, we needed to try and shrink this. My diagnosis was actually primary peritoneal cancer. Yeah. yeah. Which probably does originate from fallopian tubes and ovaries, yeah. etc but it peppers all over the peritoneum and we needed to try and shrink some of this stuff down before they could go in and operate on me. Yeah. If at all, that would be possible. I started chemo on April Fool's Day 2020. <laughs> yeah, which was rather apt. I had I was going to have paclitaxel and carboplatin, which is a very common first-line sort of yes. treatment. The carboplatin went through with no problem. The minute the second they put the paclitaxel through my uh, cannula, I, I reacted to it um, oh, seriously. And for 30 years as a nurse, I'd, I'd trained on anaphylaxis training, mm. never, ever seen it in my whole career, never dealt with it. Although I'd always carried uh, the adrenaline injection for any of my yeah. patients who might have it. Anyway, lo and behold, I I you ended I up. got it, and yeah. straight away it was a terrifying experience. Yeah. Luckily, before I just about was going to just pass out, I managed to shout the nurse over, and of course the nurses got straight in and stopped the paclitaxel, etc. Yeah. And mm. I never got paclitaxel throughout the whole of my six uh, three cycles actually of carboplatin. I had three cycles before eventually I had some surgery. Okay. Um, I since found out that that the paclitaxel is very often 
um, can set off a reaction in London. Yeah. And the research yeah. shows that it's not actually the paclitaxel, the, the taxol, which comes from the yew tree, as you probably mm -hmm. know. Diana, I do. Mm -hmm. Very toxic. It's actually the carrier oil, it which is, is a, I hate to say it, it's, a, it's not a very good quality carrier mm -hmm. oil. Something like linseed oil or something peculiar like that. Now, in America, they don't use that at all. All ladies get paclitaxel in albumin, yeah. which uh, we call a braxane here, or That's nab paclitaxel. And very many months later, as my story will show, um, I did actually successfully have paclitaxel in an albumin carrier, which went through with no problem whatsoever, which I think perhaps demonstrates that, uh, you know, it wasn't the actual taxol itself. It, it's the carrier yeah. oil. I know some some ladies will have a challenge of their paclitaxel, which they'll slowly introduce it a lot slower and with a lot more... Yeah steroid etc to try and help the body accept it they they didn't try that with me I just didn't get it which I don't know if that had a, a detrimental effect or not however the carboplatin on its own did manage to shrink my my cancer enough for them to 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 go in and operate on me yeah I asked the surgeon a lovely lady surgeon I had I said just get give me some time buy me some time try and do what you can and she says of course I will and uh, when she came to see me after that surgery she said I nearly I went in and nearly didn't couldn't do anything but she mm -hmm. says I've remembered what you'd said and I persevered and she did slowly sort out and try and remove what she could yeah yeah so it was a bit of a mess I think in there it had gone quite away you know it had probably been a maybe a couple of years in the in the growing, yeah. I suspect. In May of that year, I they started to medically retire me from the NHS from work. I had a lovely manager on the endoscopy unit. And again, in full COVID circumstances, and I mean, mm. the nurses now were really concentrating on just trying to deal with this situation that was unfolding. Um, that Eventually, I did get retired uh, fully on medical grounds from, from work. Yeah. We, again it, it, I was so far into this nightmare that was happening that that just sort of was was an aside really but mm -hmm. it was a really significant momental thing to have happened okay. that all yeah. your career you plan that you're going to retire at a certain age or whatever and and it just all goes to pot really nothing yeah. nothing you see, nursing is, it's much, much more than just a job to us, mm. isn't it? You know, it's part mm. of our identity and it's mm. part of us mm. and Absolutely. You know, integral to us. Mm. It's everything, you know, nursing is all, almost sort of woven throughout mm. all the fibres in our body. It, it is, it? you're right, Diane. Um, yes, it it's absolutely is. Are. So when all of a sudden your career that you've worked mm. so so hard for mm. is taken away because mm. of cancer mm. that's a bitter pill to swallow isn't it, it you is. know? so I understand how difficult that must have been for you and again you know there were no visitors allowed so even my colleagues from the same hospital a, a couple did sneak in sneakily mm. all gowned up and that but you know you weren't allowed to see anybody the 
Zoom calling and all the video calling mm -hmm. hadn't quite got going at that stage either. So really, I, I wasn't seeing it, you know, didn't see anybody. And no. saying that the rest of the country was isolating as well, you know, yeah. in a funny sort of way. It was going to be well, naughty then and say apart yeah, from Boris. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yes. Well, there we go. But, <laughs> but also it was a very scary time to be having chemo and that for the first time, especially because you really don't know what to expect from it. But to know also that there's a, a potentially, you know, deadly infectious disease out in the wide world that that could strike you down. It was a very scary time. Mm. For, for for cancer patients, uh, especially, I, I personally yeah. think, and especially as a new patient who really didn't know, you know, what to expect from anything. Um, no, with a pandemic. So I spent a lot of time yeah. just isolated, really, in my that's, bedroom. Yeah, it's mm. the best thing that you could have done. Mm. But it is, that's quite surreal in itself, isn't it? You know, to be yeah. living with cancer throughout a pandemic. Yeah, it was. Not enough was known about it. No, known exactly. the beginning. There were, you know, um, no vaccinations, no accommodations for any, you know, they were just finding everything out, weren't they? The worst nightmare, isn't it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So um, my boys, I was living with my two boys then, actually. I've sort of brought them up pretty single-handedly and they were still living with me. One was still at school. One was just delving into the world of university, etc. They went to live with their dad, who fortunately does live, uh, did live quite locally to me. Yeah. Um, because I just couldn't risk being with them you couldn't even buy hand gel you couldn't get anything at mm. that stage if everybody re recalls it was you know you were felt like you'd been plunged into this uh, <laughs> nightmare where you know you just had to do everything you could to try and protect yourself so that was hard but it all worked out okay so after that I had a, a pig line inserted after my surgery mm -hmm. And I was going to re recommence on on uh, the carboplatin again to finish off the three cycles, you know, so another three cycles to go. Yeah. Um, and also they added in a vastin at that stage yeah. as well. I had a pick line inserted in October of 2020. In November of 2020, I started to notice changes in my left breast, uh, an inverted nipple discoloration just gradually getting worse as well I was watching it watching waiting seeing what was going on I'd had a clear mammogram in January mm. of that year just a routine mammogram yeah which was completely normal yeah uh, so we're looking at 10 months ahead of that I, I eventually took myself or I mentioned it to my oncologist he said go to your GP and get a normal fast track which yeah. again was difficult, you know, I had to have a phone consultation, then she eventually agreed to see me, and of course mm -hmm. I was fast-tracked. Yeah. December 2020, lo and behold, yeah, I got a, really, a, a, a stage three cancer in that breast. Oh my goodness. Just, and, it, and it was a primary, it wasn't mm -hmm. a secondary to my ovarian. So um, completely separate. Completely separate, yes, which I know now, I researched it then and couldn't find anybody else who had had similar. I know now, of course, that this does happen. Yeah. And I would urge anybody to 
you know, to, to, to act on any feelings they've got that they might be a problem because it does happen. Even my oncologist said, oh, no, it, it, it can't be. It won't be. The breast surgeon said, no, that's no, that's not possible. It, you won't. It won't be that. But lo and behold. No. Well, it, both of us have had yeah, the same sort exactly. of thing happen, haven't we? Both of us. Yeah. Um, a exactly. primary ovarian, although yours yeah. peritoneal. Yeah. And and also a separate pro, uh, primary of breast cancer. Yeah. 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 It does happen. So. They had to stop all my treatment, of course, especially the Avastin, because that gives you a bleeding risk. This this yeah. breast need, needed to come off. It was quite shocking, actually, because the breast surgeon, when he knew I already had a primary ovarian cancer, really didn't really want to do a lot for me. And I was shocked by that. And I said, no, I want I want treatment for it. I want full treatment, you know. Mm -hmm. So straight away, you, you're trying to advocate for yourself and fight your corner. And, yeah. you know, and, uh, yeah. Anyway, he did. He did agree. And, and lo and behold, yes, the, I had a left mastectomy, 18 of my um, lymph nodes in the underarm and the yeah. arm were, were cancerous. So I had a mm. full clearance, okay. you know, so so that was that. And they also um uh, just before that I had my pick removed and they put a port in my chest yes. so this this was actually in January 2021 so I got a yeah. cap put in my chest as well so February 2021 post-surgery I started chemo for breast cancer so in a way the ovarian had taken back seat at this stage yeah. it was still rumbling away and yeah numbers were rising and it was starting to get yeah. going again so it was all it was which way do we go well yeah. anyway I had treatment for breast cancer which was the NAB paclitaxel this time yeah. successfully and Herceptin etc and mm -hmm. oh and we also restarted the Avastin thrown in for good measure for the ovarian cancer yeah so it was Not all leave the ovarian cancer out yeah. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> So that was that. So I I had all my genetic testing done. Firstly, I had it done with the ovarian. Then they did some additional testing once I'd had breast cancer as well. Mm. I'm negative to everything. I'm, I am not yeah. BRCA1 and 2 positive. No. Um, PALB2 is another one that mm. a, a gene increasing your chances of breast cancer. I'm negative to that as well. Yeah. So I it's am, just one of those things. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. One of those mm. things, really. Great, mm. crazy things. Unfortunately, in March 2021, I developed lymphedema in this in my left arm. Yeah. Uh, it started off as just a minor swelling that I was just keeping my eye on. Uh, yeah. but, but now to this present day, it, it will never go away. And now it, it's quite significant uh, lymphedema which is yeah. which is a shame and it's a, it's a yeah it's a real hassle and uh, you yeah. know I have to try and manage it etc is there is there a way of can you have a sleeve or anything like yes that? yes um I got a referral to the lymphedema clinic uh, yeah. this time still down in Kent and I actually knew some of the nurses in there which was lovely but it, you know I just had to wait my turn got my referral which took a yeah. while 
And yes, I, I, I had a light, lightweight sleeve to start with. They show you some massage techniques on the mm -hmm. arm and you're meant to get it to the top of the arm, then down the front of the chest. Now, yeah. mine was complicated because I had a porter cap in the opposite side of mm -hmm. my chest. I wasn't allowed to swish it along the chest. No. So my husband and or has to, he still has to do it now. We get the lymph up the arm as best we can. Then he pushes it down my back um, yeah. across to the other side where it can be dealt with by your by your healthy lymph nodes yeah so yeah. it's one of those things you you just you, you learn to live with it it's a you know it's just one of those things yeah and for the listeners that are wondering why you got that that's because you had the lymph node clearance from underneath your mm. arm um yeah. and so obviously you get that collection of lymphatic fluid in in your arm mm. and it has to be then manually drained away yeah and you can get that in your lower extremities as well with ovarian mm. cancer i'm not, not suggesting you're going to get this but no no just yeah. for the listeners to understand that you can get lymphedema in your legs as well mm. both or just one and that's particularly uh, following uh, a big surgery in the abdomen where they've they've taken away some of the lymph nodes or if the the lymph nodes in the groin are very very congested then the lymphatic fluid can't drain up then from the legs mm. so that's um that can happen with ovarian mm. cancer as well mm. so i'm sorry i'm just interjected there no no it's good it, it's good uh it's nice for people to sort of know what yeah. we're talking about really and yeah. one thing I've found just as a minor thing that uh, I think the treatment for lymphedema on the on the NHS here in Britain especially it is very antiquated and it, they're treating it exactly the same as they did when I was nursing lymphedema patients 30 years ago which <laughs> is big ugly sleeves and something you know that your your great grandma would have worn yeah and me and Andor have both come up with some marvellous um, inventions of funky tattooed sleeves <laughs> and things that we would like to oh. <laughs> like to make <laughs> and available to everybody. But I'm afraid uh, no, yeah. they don't exist such a thing. So, no. um, yeah, that's a shame. So uh, by this time, April 2021, I had lost my hair fully, all of my hair. Yeah, as many of the ladies will understand, and that that again is a you know just a whole new lot of <laughs> stuff to deal with, really. So yeah. I you, you loved your different funky colours, didn't you? I did. Oh, I yeah. I yeah. it all came out. It was nice not to have leg hair for a while, um, but horrible to lose eyelashes and eyebrows, especially which I, I still haven't got mm -hmm. back really I've got my eyelashes back now but my eyebrows I'm still looking very surprised <laughs> oh I know it's weird nice. isn't it because yeah. um, it's like with, with your nose hair I know I spoke to yeah. Katie in one of the previous episodes and that was one of the things that she broke down about she looked in the mirror and she broke down and said, I've got no nose hair. And it's really strange yeah. because it's your nose becomes really dry when you're breathing in and out. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you can your nose might become runny and there's nothing yeah. to stop it from running because no. there's no nose hair. Well, and, and adding to that mix as well, if you're on a vastin, Mm. that can cause bleeding and, and especially nosebleeds yeah it's, it's quite common yeah. so you've got this nose that really 
isn't functioning as it should and yeah. and you you're having to stop you know which I did I had nosebleeds every single day and, yeah. you know and it's all very you have to learn a lot of new coping strategies very quickly yeah. in this journey um, it, you know it's you don't it, even know exist the day before yeah it can be absolutely bloody miserable, can't it? Yeah, it All yeah. of these things because of the treatment on top of, of on top of cancer. And then trying to this is the physical stuff. If you start yeah. delving into the, you know, your psychological effects, I mean that's yeah. uh, did you have a wig or anything or or did you I did I did get an NHS, I uh, got an NHS wig actually, yeah. which I went for a very corporate looking receptionist style wig no insult to any receptionists out there um which I hardly ever worn and I think it's mm. stuck up in the loft right now but I did get on the internet and started looking at lovely funky um <coughs> coloured wigs dreadlocky wigs all yeah. sorts of wigs but actually I did have a lovely box of wigs like a dressing up box however very mm. often you, your head is quite tender yeah. and and a, a wig um, it was summer at this stage, you know, and a wig yeah. isn't the best. So I very often just worn scarves and often yeah. nothing at all. I must say I I uh, embraced my inner Kojak. Um, yeah, me too. That's yeah, I mean, kind of what, what I did. Um, I, you know, I've got no hair, got no eyelashes, got no eyebrows, got no hair, got a Frankenstein's body with bits chopped off and cut out and <laughs> stitched together you know what I wasn't too worried to be honest <laughs> oh Linda bye <laughs> so July of 2021 I finished uh, the treatments by October of 2021 my CA125 was rapidly rising despite me still being on Avastin actually yeah, it was going up a thousand every three weeks. Every blood test, it was going up another thousand, and it got up to seven thousand plus again. My my CA one two five is a very good indicator of yeah. what's going on. So again, massive inflammation and massive mm -hmm. activity going on inside. Yes. So by November uh, that year uh, we actually I, I sold my house down in Kent during this time I just had this urge that I wanted to be further up north in my own place where I hadn't been mm -hmm. for for like 40 years but it still feels like home yeah and you back to your room from my accent mm -hmm. you know you never lose that 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 yeah. continues with me um so I, I sort of sold my house I still had a mortgage on it but I paid that off yeah, and we, um, me and Andor bought a house here up here in Mansfield in Nottinghamshire, actually. So November twenty twenty one, in view of the rising numbers, I moved complete health trusts and oncology teams, etc., mm -hmm. which I must say went very smoothly. So That's anybody moving, don't worry. You know the the yeah. oncologists are used to conferring with their colleagues in other counties and and passing all the information information over and it was very smooth Good. so I restarted again chemo which was carboplatin and uh, gem gemcitabine this time okay. yeah had six cycles of that I was continuing with injections for breast cancer as well they had to reduce my dose of that 
uh, down to 80 percent um, mm. because I had a very severe diarrhea and constipation, which I just couldn't manage uh, mm. myself. So, and that worked, that got it a bit more manageable. Yeah. And that finished in April. Yeah. Of this year. Yeah. And then the uh, the CA125 had come down to just over a thousand at that point. Uh, CT yeah. scan, which I've just recently had results from, sh- shows that everything is is reasonably uh, st- still stable. There's a couple of new little areas that they're looking at, and we'll mm-hmm. you know we'll keep an eye on with the next scan. Okay. Um, but in the meantime, in the last few weeks, I had the added complication that my portacath got mm-hmm. infected which is quite unusual apparently pick lines can become infected um portacaths not so much but no. I did and I've just spent a week in uh, Nottingham hospital with them deciding who was going to take it out because it wasn't a straightforward removal of a portacath who should mm-hmm. have the responsibility I eventually went to general surgery went under anesthetic and they took it out but they had to um, what we call debride the the hole, if you like, where it had sat. Uh, they had to take out some some uh, tissue that wasn't going to heal very well. Mm-hmm. And I've now got a quite a si- sizable hole on yeah. my chest, which yeah. is having to be dressed by um, the district nurses and and my, myself and my husband do it on occasion, and then the district nurses are keeping yeah. an eye on it. Oh, I hope that heals well for you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. But yes, so we're at that point where it's all still there. (laughs) It's still there. It's stable. And once you've once your port has, um, well, where the port was, once that's all healed over, yeah, I guess they'll look again, won't they? And they will. And unfortunately, because I've got that 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 unhealed wound there now. Yeah, it's a shame because I was due to start on PARP inhibitors in eight eight weeks after the last carboplatin chemo is the window where they can start Mm -hmm. you on that. I'm going to miss that because uh, starting on a PARP inhibitor within the next week, which would be my window, Mm -hmm. would be very detrimental to wound healing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, So I'd be left with an unhealed wound which could become quite problematic Mm. and I really don't fancy it it's right where you can see it on your Mm. front of your chest you know where your neckline is and everything so yeah so I'm going to miss that such a a roller coaster isn't it it? it, it, one thing leads to another actually it would seem yeah Uh, and all you can try and do is is roll with it Mm. and try and stay as as you know Diane just as optimistic as possible mm. and keep trying to head for the next you know yeah. the next bit in a way mm. I hope that it works out with the recaprib um for you and yeah. you know that things go your way but you always are very positive and you know yeah. you, I can tell that you use humor a lot don't you in your coping strategy but- I think you have to in a way um, well, for the listeners that are listening and they want some hope or some sort of coping strategies as to how to deal with this, what sort of advice and suggestions would you give to them? How do you cope? I, I think certainly I, I've certainly used the uh, online 
help the overcome target mm -hmm. ovarian cancer all the you know they the the ladies on there uh, although occasionally I do pull out of it a bit because I get a bit mm -hmm. overwhelmed sometimes you just want to try and put it to one side in a different yeah. compartment but yeah. other times especially if you need some information about what a, a treatment really means for a patient not what the doctors tell you what it really feels like the real experience of it mm -hmm. it's really useful then to go in and ask the question and let the mm -hmm. ladies who are all going through their own different experiences of this let them try and inform your decision yeah. making on things and things so I've yeah. certainly used things like that and I think that's the advice line and the there's a forum isn't there Health yeah the what? forum I've never actually rung the advice line I've never actually spoken to anybody outright but I've certainly put questions out there and you always get a response yeah they're from, really from really ladies good. Yeah. I've also recently attended a well I am attending actually it's been interrupted by my hospital stay but every uh, week for six weeks Macmillan now are running a course called hope yeah h-o-p-e uh, and it's it's to it, and it's about finding a um how to cope with or after cancer yeah. um and living with cancer actually and how best yeah. to try and manage so it's things like fatigue and mm. Uh, mindfulness and and all those strategies that can really help help yeah if that's you... really good yeah yeah so I've missed a couple of those and I'm hoping they'll mm. let me restart them there was a couple more to go starting yeah. this week actually but they were really good and again a very small group of ladies all with different they weren't in fact there was nobody else with ovarian cancer but all different cancers and and some definitely were post-treatment and probably mm. were will go on for many many years now but others were actually in the midst of you know midst yeah. of so that's been useful yeah. so have a look what's out there most local health community health trusts and that do run various things i'm going to a look good feel better makeup workshop yeah soon they're really well. good. Yeah. i haven't been on one before and I want somebody to show me how to do my eyebrows <laughs> because I've tried everything. I've tried stamps and stencils and and I just look like my mum used to look with like <laughs> these wonky drawn on eyebrows, which is horrendous. Oh, I remember that <laughs> so well. Yours are beautiful now. You've oh, thank you. Eyebrows. No, I used to draw mine on and they look like well, I look yeah. like Aunt Sally. You well, know. I'm like that. My I never had the best. I, I plucked them to death when I was a teenager. So they were never brilliant eyebrows anyway. But now I haven't got any. I just feel, um, you know, just like this. Yeah. Pleasantly surprised person walking around all the time. All those things, I know we laugh at this, but yeah. all of those things, they they do have um, such a psychological effect on us, don't mm. they? Particularly for women, I think, yeah. because we there's such a lot of it, we bear such a lot of importance on our appearance because it's what we present to the world. Definitely. So the the look good, feel better is yeah. really good. And and the other thing, it's funny you should say that, but wearing this lymphedema sleeve, I forget mm. I've got it on but very yeah. often of course I have to choose clothes now I've got no no boob on that side mm. I've got a waistline like a barrel 
with no muscular tone whatsoever around my middle. I've got a lymphedema sleeve on with complete hand glove. Mm-hmm. And I often get people say, oh, have you broken your arm, dear? I say, oh, no, actually, I've got lymphedema. And I don't like to, you don't witter on about it to strangers and things. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, and you forget, actually, that you do look, you don't quite look the norm mm-hmm. anymore. No. You know, somehow. And, it, yeah, it's very peculiar. Yeah. Yeah, it does affect you. I think for some, it affects confidence, self-esteem, mm. which is why it's really important to access the, the support that's out there. Because I think once you realise that there are so many others, other women that are feeling yeah. the same and they can you can relate to them, you think, well, I'm not on my own. It is. In that, strangely, it is very, very important to mm. realise that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you don't know until you're in this situation how important the one positive thing that I've had done after 30 years of being a nurse and having no nice nails at all because you're not allowed to Mm -hmm. have long lacquered nails as a nurse I've finally gone and had my nails (laughs) oh you've got got little daisies on them painted on that they are really nice um which is very nice so that's my one positive that I can look down and see these lovely nails now yeah yeah no you you are such a breath of fresh air I I love talking to you oh and I I do you as well Diane and uh, I I don't know I think something like this brings out your inner character that just lay there you know it's just in you and everybody reacts differently and everybody will cope differently we um, all think we we're never going to cope don't we mm, um yeah. we're never going to get through mm. but you, you and, and people say to us oh you're so brave but actually oh, yeah. what choice do you have you've got no um, choice you find a way through yeah. um, using the support that's around um and particularly with your peer group as well yeah do you and, ever and think I... about the future linda do you ever think about the future i do and i was just going to say to you actually I would like to mention I have left my husband and family a what to do next list of what happens next literally you know uh, because I do know that I'm not I'm not coming out of this alive if you like (laughs) And, and yeah it's part of that control thing again just trying to have a little bit I'm trying to help trying to take the the stress and the agony from your loved ones and and just try and do something to be helpful yeah there I've looked at um funerals and things I haven't chosen one Mm. um I haven't done that but I've I've instructed what I would like um I'm not in any way religious and I don't want a a, like a church thing or anything like that I looked at it a natural woodland burial and yeah all that but anyway I've come to a, a conclusion of that and I've left that information with them yeah. so in a way I'm trying to direct things even when I I won't be here and I won't you know I won't care at that stage I won't be anything so it, yes I do think about the future it's a gift isn't it in many many ways because when we when we die our loved ones unless we talk about what it is that we would like what our wishes are then it leaves them in a dilemma doesn't it well what would they want you know 
And I, I just think they're such yeah. important in conversations to have. And they're, they're very difficult, you know, and they're, they're, yeah. there'll be tears and, and mm. it's, it's, it's difficult, especially with your children. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the, the worst is trying to, even though my, both my sons are adult now, mm. it, it, you know, it, and I've always been honest with them right from the start, you know, yeah. about everything that's going on. And they expect that with me being a nurse, you know, I've, I've always been honest with them about health issues and things like that. But yeah, um, yeah it's very difficult. But I know we've it breaks your found, heart. We've found a, a way of just getting through it. And mm. it's a, yeah, the sooner I, I would hope that in, in decades to come and in generations to come, that, that women won't be going through this with regards ovarian cancer for sure oh, wouldn't that be brilliant things yeah. will have moved on tremendously yeah. by then um, but in the meantime having having those conversations mm. with with your family is really important and you'll know this from your district mm. nursing days mm. um, yes absolutely did your, families did your can be in a mess afterwards if if there's yeah. been no instruction and things like doing a will obviously mm. things like that that yeah goes without saying I've also got a lasting power of attorney or okay. and or my husband has got it for me yeah um, in case at some stage yeah. you know I can't make my decisions for myself and what yeah. have you then he has got full legal rights over my health and wealth actually yeah so yeah. Have you ever thought about having the um, do not attempt CPR? Yeah, I've actually got that in place, Diane. That was done yeah. recently. I went for a just a, an end a, a review at, at my GP surgery, where mm. um, where again, shockingly, I saw that I'm on their end of life register, and mm. for me, again, I couldn't get over that. I got so upset privately. I was. I couldn't get my head round that me, I who used to work with the patients on these registers, I am mm. now on that register. It, it's crazy, mm. but yes, and we agreed that uh, I, I've got a DNR in a do not yeah. attempt station in place, and it's yeah. registered on my my health electronic health record as well. Yeah, I've because I've got the same mm. and I requested it actually. It mm. wasn't something that the doctor suggested, but I requested it because I realized that mm. as I was progressing, that to try and resuscitate mm. me, to come back to having to go through all of the treatments mm. and the pain and discomfort that I'm in, mm. I wouldn't want that. And at the point where your heart stops anyway you wouldn't it would be futile it trying would. to resuscitate your body is that you know mm. our hearts are big and 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 working well currently but the moment that stops it means you it's had enough it's really i wish that, that they'd change the terminology because mm. i'd much prefer and i always talk about allowing a natural death because that's what you're doing. That's a lovely, yeah. Absolutely. It's really the crux of what we're, we're asking or, or agreeing to. But, you know, I have, I have actually completed countless forms, the, mm. the DNR forms. 
um, for different uh, me people. too I used to do them all the time and and I yeah. have been present when the paramedics have come mm-hmm. to to a home where somebody mm-hmm. you know they they are they've taken a turn for the worst and you can see that you know that, that they under normal circumstances would probably be resuscitated but because the DNR form is mm-hmm. there then the paramedics then know not to do all mm-hmm. bring all the equipment in and start to try and restart somebody's heart but the most important thing that I think I want to say to anybody with a DNAR form is this and that is that it's not that the doctors and the paramedics don't do anything Mm -hmm. if you've got that form they do everything for you they give you oxygen they give you pain relief they give you all sorts of other medications to control your symptoms at that time. The only difference with having one of those forms is that they don't bring in the equipment to restart your heart. That's Mm -hmm. the only difference. Mm -hmm. And I just wish that that would be spoken about a bit more for people yeah. so that they're not afraid or well if I if I've got a DNAR form not gonna that means anything. not going to do just anything leave me there yeah. yeah that is a massive misconception and mm. uh, and certainly the the doctor didn't need to to tell me because I understood what it actually meant and I also yeah. have done CPR on patients yeah. where it it, it yeah it's a, not it's a not very nice thing to to do and have done to you and yeah I would ask everybody to really seriously think about you know what what they want in place because at that time you're not able to say for yourself so yeah mm. get, get one in place <laughs> it's hard it's hard on your relatives your family isn't it your loved ones because yeah. um I remember Simon saying, well, I know you've got the form, but if anything happened, he said, I don't know if I could stand by (laughs) and do nothing. But, you know, I often bring it up and I don't know if you do, but I often bring up the the situation that I'm in and um, I use humour a lot. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't go down very well, but a lot of the time we end up, you know, talking about popping my clocks. It opens the conversation, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 And, you know, in our situation, there is no skirting around (laughs) this inevitability. And and like you say, we've got, the in a way, the, the luxury of time to... To, to ponder this yeah people aren't gonna have that and it's important to yeah. think about these things really I'm a great believer that death is a part of life just mm. in the same way as birth is mm. and we plan a lot for birth so why not for death yeah exactly you no know, mm. and in doing such a lot of preparation for death doesn't mean to say that we're not going to live yeah yeah you and and i actually puts your mind at ease that that particular little subject is is dealt with you know for now things can change i've changed my funeral wishes loads of times Mm. in the last few months i keep saying well i I want a service i don't want any people coming oh now i do want people coming. (laughs) i want you all to hold a sunflower you know all these silly things and yeah you know it it's yeah, I yeah, just, it's um, yeah, it's an important subject, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But it is. I think 
I think what this does for I know you and I are both very similar in this way is that mm. you prioritize the important things in life and mm. it's the simple things in life isn't it that really matter the most it, it is it um, is nature and absolutely and in time with your loved ones just snuggled yeah. up watching a, a film right. or something it is. You know. and and the other thing that I've uh, you know I've had time to think about now and being on the other side of the of the coin if you like I'm now a p- fully fledged patient yeah I know my I did my nursing right it's such yeah. a comfort to me that yeah. that all those years I was looking after end of life patients, palliative mm-hmm. care patients, uh, patients with all sorts of things going on. And now I know what makes a, a good uh, nurse patient relationship, etc. I, I did it. I did it. OK. And I'm so pleased. I wasn't perfect, but I did, I'm sure I made a difference to people yeah. who are now long gone. You know, they're long past and yeah. I, I was never sure. Did I actually make any difference? I know I probably did now. Oh, you did. I am I'm absolutely so sure you did. As you, I, without even guessing, I know you have had a massive effect on, mm. especially in your your speciality as well. Oh, thank you. You had a massive difference. And what, what more could somebody hope for, really? to have made a difference for me as well having made a difference to animals throughout my life and creatures has been a massive thing and I'm so glad now I'm at this point and I'm able to say well I didn't contribute to 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 that horrible industry and all you know animals being slaughtered and stuff yeah yeah I'm I'm just so pleased so I'm you know of course there are lots of things I would have liked to have done and experienced in years to come which I'm probably not going to be able to I'm not going to see grandchildren now Mm. um you know I'm not going to probably see my boys married or or maybe even graduate I don't know but I know the things I have actually managed to do I I can hold my head up you have had an amazing life the very beginning I think about what you've been a bit wacky oh (laughs) I love it you should write a book yeah (laughs) I I don't know uh there's yeah I I could have made some different decisions but again you you look at you look back and you think well that's that's what happened from that decision and that's how life turned out and that continues to be the case but it's just that our decisions are slightly we we haven't got that many to make now mm. that actually you know they they're made for us in a way yeah some I know of what our you major yeah. decisions and we haven't got that many options now let's put it that way yeah but you are still making memories and you're yeah. still well, showing nice. such kindness and compassion oh, well and I hope so I love that about you again you, your character really comes out in these sort of times and uh yeah thank goodness we've we're big hearted yeah <laughs> I know <laughs> <laughs> oh we I've kept you for so long Could how has you... it been well I've enjoyed it Diane oh I have as well and, and I hope it's... You a few questions like yes. questions at the end yeah yeah so I don't know if you've thought about these if you haven't don't worry about it but what song what song would be your signature tune for your life do you think Linda 
Well, I did actually ponder this, Diane, and it's very difficult when your life has revolved around music. I mean, yeah. it just revolved around this soundtrack through your whole life. And I know you're a big music lover as yeah. well. I had to come up. There's so many I could have chosen, but I came up. I've, I've chosen some David Bowie and I've, yeah. cho I've chosen Changes because yeah. it's a song about the, the forward march of time, how mm. time... It changes actually things will keep changing and I'm part of that and one day I won't I won't be and but things will march on yeah and time and events and hopefully humanity will will actually improve and change but uh it will change you know things will carry on regardless would I also have to had add in all around my hats by steel eye span yeah <laughs> came out I think in 1976 when I would be 11 and it's it's kept popping up through my life and I often sing it my family will I'm often chortling away all around my hat through the house and uh, I just love it and I saw Steel Eyes fan not long ago actually and yeah. they were brilliant and it's very very English sort of uh, old style folk yeah. music and I, I just yeah. love that so oh, yeah, those two. There's a million songs I could have chosen. Yeah. No, I love those two choices and, yeah. and um, a very strong message, particularly with changes. Oh yeah, yeah. What do you want to be remembered for? We've already discussed. I, I think really to 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 have yeah to have made a difference. It's an old cliche, and but to have made a positive difference to. Mm. Any, everybody and anybody and anything actually that happened to come my way and uh, I, I, to, to have been kind and, and you've achieved uh, that you have yeah I'm, I'm so glad because it, it must be terrible to reach where your life is going to be curtailed actually and uh, you not to have you know done something that was really important to you but so to to have been kind and to have I've produced two really nice men as well that I'm hoping will will make a difference in the world yeah as well somehow you're a beautiful soul oh, remember to you that. too I, we recognize <laughs> each other I think what was the last book you read or is there a book that you could recommend that everybody reads? Yeah, I mean, again, it's very difficult. I, I would say <laughs> from my teenage years, the, the constant rereads of Lord of the Rings ought to be on everybody's book list. However, yeah. I can't yeah. ask everybody to, to do that. But uh, I have actually read a really good book recently called Memoirs of a Debulked Woman. You've oh. probably come across it yourself. It's by a lady, a feminist writer called Susan Gubar. Uh, it was written in 2012. And it's a memoir of hers detailing her. She, she had ovarian cancer in America and it's her mm. perceived betrayal that her body has done to her, that the body has completely betrayed her somehow and, and mm. a medical journey that she underwent. And I read it quite early on in my journey and didn't understand some of it mm. because I hadn't reached that point. However, I now think back on it and uh, I, I recognise, and she's a really good writer, uh, she articulated mm. the journey just, you know, that, that, we, that we've spoken about today that yeah. can be so horrific 
Yeah. Uh, she's now 77. She's still alive. Oh, wonderful. Um, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And, yeah, but she has been through a journey and a half. Yeah. For sure. So that was an interesting one. That does sound very interesting. Yeah, I can recommend oh, it. You. Okay. Yeah. And um, lastly, where in the world would you say is a must to visit in a lifetime? Oh, yeah. So the, obviously the, there are many wonderful places in the world. I have travelled quite a bit for sure. However, I'm going to bring it right back in to central England. Mm. And I've got to say... Derbyshire, the Midlands in general, but Derbyshire yeah. and places like Matlock Bath, which is where I lived in a forest for two years oh, uh, back yeah. in the eighties when I could still draw Margaret Thatcher's doll money, yeah. and live the dream. Oh. Um, it was great. It was fabulous. And but but Bakewell, the Peak District, mm -hmm. it's all it's a magical place. It's magical. You can't get any further from the sea in Derbyshire. Everywhere you look, the sea is as far as away as it can be, yeah. but it's full of valleys and caves and yeah. wonderful forests. And uh, you need you need to come and see me up here, Diane. I know you've been probably been endless. I've time. been to Matlock Bath. Oh uh, yeah, we, we used to go on the bikes and we yes, I bet all you did. The high and, streets. And, yeah, oh, you still will <laughs> on a Sunday. The the mm. road is lined with these yeah. amazing bikes, etc. But everybody should should visit Derbyshire. Yeah, and just just pick a place and go and see its beauty. It's it's lovely. You've sold it to us. Oh, good. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh -huh. Oh, Linda, thank you so so very much for all of your time and for sharing your story. Thank you, Diane. Oh, you take and, uh, care. And thank you for this wonderful podcast that you do. It's it's so so, so much value to anybody listening to it. You're welcome. So well done, you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening today. To hear future episodes of this podcast, please go ahead and subscribe now. I look forward to sharing more inspiring conversations with women who are living with ovarian cancer. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other and enjoy all that life has to offer.